I'm Commander Shepard, and Normandy FM is my favorite show on the Citadel. Normandy FM. 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 Hello and welcome to another wonderful, spectacular, and today, finally, after eons, Kenneth, eons, guest-filled episode Mm -hmm. of Normandy FM. Has it been that long? It has been a while. I mean, like, it's been a a hot minute. It's been a hot Mm -hmm. minute. It feels like forever. Not that being stuck in this Discord with you forever would be terrible, Ken, but today we've got... Ginny, Ginny Woo, I believe. Your your Discord name messes me up. It says Ginny Woes, and I was like, that's not right. I know that's just like a screen name, yep. but that could be right. Uh, <clears throat> Ginny, it's wonderful having you on here. Thanks for having me. It's been a hot minute since we like set this up, so I'm glad to actually be on here talking about Omega. I'm pretty stoked. Yeah, we plan out far, far ahead, so... Yeah. Yeah, we, we've gotten into situations this season where we will reach out to people and we'll be like, hey, let's have you on the show. And they'll be like, cool, like next week. And we'll be like, no, like three months from now. <laughs> They're like, why don't you just follow up with me like two weeks beforehand to make sure it still works. Usually it still works out. We've had a couple last second switcheroos and cancellations. But for the most part, it's been smooth sailing. But one thing we always want to ask our guests when they come on. First, tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your... Uh, place in the industry as it were as well as like your history with mass effect and why omega really stuck out to you okay um well like you said um i'm Judy. god i'm so bad at these like i do a lot of podcasts but i'm so bad at doing the whole like song and dance like this is me what up um so <laughs> you need to write a template and just use yeah, it every time i need a template just like this is my name this is what i do this is why i like anime titty games i'm sorry um no so i'm <laughs> i am Ginny. um i'm a freelancer um like ken i guess um yeah. and i do a lot of writing here and there uh predominantly at the moment for GameSpot, also for fanbyte um I, yeah, I kind of float around the internet, do a lot of writing, do a lot of speaking um, on panels about stuff like diversity and sex and games. Um, Hell yeah. And as you can tell from my accent, I'm from New Zealand. I'm from Hobbiton. I live like 40 minutes from Hobbiton. So I'm basically a Lord of the Rings extra. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, that, that, is, that is my life. Uh, in terms of my history with Mass Effect, I played them out of order. Um, oh shit! Ooh. <laughs> yeah, I three, play, two, one. I play them out. Yeah, exactly. Three, two, one. I play them out of order, so um, I had to actually go back um, once I got hooked into it and, and play them through sequentially to really get the emotional effect. But three was my very first one, um, and I don't you really did start with three. I was joking. No, yeah, seriously. Wow. <laughs> I literally started with three. I was like, okay, 
boom, I'm in. I love space. I love aliens. Everyone looks pretty hot. This is like, you know, we're we'll, we'll being a bit forgiving on the graphics at this point in time in my brain. Everyone's a little bit hot. Um, love space, you know, love space mercenaries, love space opera narratives. And I was like, yeah, you know what? This kind of seems like I'd be into it. I was hella into Dragon Age. So I was already like a Bioware convert. And I was like, mm. yeah, this will be fine. This is going to be great. It's going to be Dragon Age in space. It was not that, but I still loved it anyway. <laughs> and then I thought, you know what? We'll, we'll go backwards. We'll work our way backwards. I did two and one. So I'm probably the only person I've spoken to. Well, well, the person, other person I know that likes Mass Effect that's done three, two, one. I've been told it's insanity to do it that way. Um, I did choose to do it that way initially. I only really had access to three at first, but that's what I did. And um, I don't know if that's kind of made Omega stand out potentially more um, than other DLCs. But for me, I know that when I played ME3, you get introduced to Arya so early in the game. She was one of the characters that really, 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 really stuck out for me. And so when I was thinking about what I guess I not really cared the most about, but what DLC stuck out the most for me in my brain and involved one of my favorite characters ever, uh, it would be Omega for that reason. Just Arya is a powerhouse of a character. And I really, really enjoy what they did with her, what they did with Omega, and also the way that she played of my Shepard and the way I played my Shepard back then and the way I still play Shepard now. So, yeah, I, I see Omega as, like, the, the thing that ties my Emmy three experience together as a whole. So that's why I love it so much. So that that's fascinating to me because, you know, we've been doing this whole retrospective, mm-hmm. and in three, I think, to this point... Arya has been largely like an afterthought. We talked about her for that initial mission that you do for her on the Citadel. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, she's just kind of there. And that's like fascinating to me that you just glommed onto this character so quick that you're like, Arya. Yes. So, like, yeah. going back to two must have been just like revelatory for you because you're like, oh my God, this is whole hub. And she's like the center of it. Exactly. Because she's all like, oh, this is like my, my really cool base and club. And this club that you're in is totally shit. And I'm like, uh-huh. I mean, I've not seen the other one, but I mean, cool, I guess. She's all like, I'm a bad bitch. I've got, you know, spies everywhere. And I'm like, all right, sure. Like, I didn't really, she didn't really have that, that image. She was like cool, mysterious. You know, she was like my kind of bad decision, but I didn't know how much she was my kind of bad decision until I played two. So that was mind blowing for me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is going to be a good podcast already. I can tell. <laughs> it's not. So... Looking at Omega, so again, you know, we've up to this point, you have to have done this adult mission for Arya already, and you get kind of that teaser of what's going on. But the large part of this mission is you're basically just rolling in there. It's so low, Shep. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no there's no squad mates coming along for this. It's just you and Arya right off the bat. And before we started this uh, recording in in the off of the record session <laughs> of uh, our chat. Uh, both you and Ken were talking about how Arya just enables uh, your inner renegade, how that is like... Yeah. In- so I want to hear y'all talk about that, because even yeah. for me, Ken has seen my Paragon bar. That 5% there down at the bottom, <laughs> that little red, that is Arya. I feel the same <laughs> way. <laughs> so I, I want I want to hear it from y'all. You know, what yeah. is it about Arya, especially in Omega, that really enables that renegade aspect? We'll start with Ken. Well, I think a lot of it does come down to you. This is solo ship. Like you don't have, you know, the more, 
uh, what's the best way to put them? The Boy Scouts of mm-hmm. the Normandy crew to <laughs> yeah. like kind of be that angel on your shoulder for like the solid like half the DLC. So like I mean I gradually as the trilogy goes on I get progressively more Paragon and then like by the time I get to three it's like a sixty forty split of Renegade Paragon, but then you get like you get this more like self contained story that's away from like the dire awful of the Reaper War. And you just get this badass Asari chick who's, like, enabling the absolute worst tendencies of a <laughs> renegade shepherd. So, I get in there, and I'm, like, her hype man, basically. Like, she's like, oh, we're gonna, like, crash these ships into the side of... Or, like, into all services forces, and we're just gonna, you know, have no respect for anything... Any other surroundings, we're just gonna... Our goal is to get to afterlife, and we're gonna fuck up Cerberus. And I'm just like, hell yeah. I Like, nobody is, like, here to make me think... Like, give me any sort of, like angel on my shoulder thing happening I'm I am all in here and nobody has to know because nobody else is here to judge me for it later (laughs) Jesus Christ um I mean that really actually just kind of sums up how I deal with Arya like I mean admittedly there's like a huge thirst element there when it comes to, to whether or not <laughs> whether or not my chef was like gonna go along with it. Like I, I honestly don't know what it was about Arya that grabbed me so much. Even in the initial quest where you're literally just like her dog's body and she's like, Go here, go there, do this, do that and I was like, you know what? It's cool, step on me. I will do that. <laughs> so the minute she's like, Hey, I need your help, I need to get this sorted out. And, you know, at that point, I figured out she was basically not going to be, like, an antiquer. You know, we're never going to get married in Hawaii. But um, I was like, you know what? It's okay. Any time to be around Arya, I'm going to take. So the minute she was like, let's go make some awful risky decisions. At that point, I had made mostly Paragon choices. But I've been trying to play it, because it was my first, like I said, trying to play it very, very Mm -hmm. close to, like, what I thought my squad would want. Or, like, be a responsible leader. The minute... The literal minute she's like, I'm just gonna like punch my ships through this defense line. I was like, yep, let's go. <laughs> let's make fucking go. <laughs> I just, she was like, you know Sounds what? Sounds perfectly you're... reasonable. Yeah, she was like, your friends can't come. And I was like, great, it's fine. I don't make fucking need friends. I have you. It's okay. <laughs> let's go and do this. Let's make this awful choice. And when she's like, when she says to you, I want you all to, yeah, she's like, oh, you know, I want you all to myself. And I'm like, yep. That's it. That's the deal. I'm done. So admittedly, it was all thirst. The beginning, my whole renegade thing with Arya was literally initially thirst. And that's why I got so into Omega at the start. The story is great. Won't deny that. But my motivations, the reason why I hyped her up so much and why I was like down to clown the minute she was like, hey, it's Cerberus. Hey, it's a bad choice. That pure thirst. So there we go. Fair enough. And the interest, like, we talked about a little bit, but, like, not having the companions there also means, like, look, your your romance interest isn't here either. Like, everything mm-hmm. that happens here is kind of this, like, side story that no no one on the Normandy has to ever know about. You're yeah. just kind of like, I'm taking off for the weekend. Be back <laughs> in a little bit, guys. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there's, like, that aspect, but also it opens up the storytelling a little bit more because now you don't have to find you know, one of the things that 
is one of Mass Effect 3's like greatest strengths, but also possibly a weakness in this respect is that it has to constantly tie into stuff from previous Mass Effects. It has to constantly like make references and make good on all these promises that's been building up. But Omega is just you know, they they just decide to do this thing outside the canon. There's very little Reaper things in this. I, I think they barely even mention the Reapers uh, throughout the entire DLC. And it's just, hey, you know, Cerberus are assholes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mass Effect 2 was a great video game. Uh, let's go play it again. <laughs> and uh, there's like, there's something incredible about that for a game that is purely like delivering on fan service for people who have been playing this games for forever they get to now just do this side story that is completely disconnected. And one of the other benefits that you have there is you can introduce more characters like Nyrene, mm-hmm. who is my personal favorite of this. <laughs> uh, so full like background, listeners of the show know that I have played a little bit of Mass Effect Andromeda, but not gotten far enough in to really like get to know the characters. So I, I knew that there was the the female Turian in the Andromeda squad, but I hadn't even spent much time talking to her. It was not memorable. And so knowing that not only was there a female Turian in Mass Effect 3, but it was this kick-ass former lover of Arya who has become a rebel insurrectionist to the, <laughs> like, Cerberus takeover. For what Arya was for y'all, that was Nyrene <laughs> over here. I was like... Fuck yeah, let's do, like, Robin Hood Turian over here. I'm gonna go follow her. Nice. We got this taken care of. Arya, you go do stuff. Like, you, <laughs> you got this. You're good. I'm gonna be over here. Um, but this is where they also kind of, like, throw in the, okay, you know, Arya's this chaos renegade over here. We gotta put in a Paragon-style mm-hmm. character to get in here. And so, that's why, Ken, I really want to hear what you think of Nyrene. Because... Uh, I know that you enjoy the Renegade stuff, so I want to know how you felt about this Paragon character coming in and how well it was implemented. I think in the event that she had showed up in one or two, my relationship would have with her would have been slightly different because when she she shows up, you know, initially she's not really spotlighted in the way that she is later. Like she's, you know, like she said, she's this roguish ex-lover of Arya, but we later find out that she is, you know, the leader of the Talon, the the gang that's kind of, like, been gradually trying to build up their forces to fight against Cerberus. Um, initially, you know, I'm still, like, I don't, not that I don't, tr- yeah, I guess it's like, I, I don't trust this person, she's new, she's, like, outside of the scope of what we came here to do, and then later it kind of, she gradually explains, like, the things that Arya is trying to do are, are hurting the people of Omega. And that's where my inner paragon starts to kick in. Because, like, I didn't have the squad before to be my the angel on my shoulder. But when Nyrene comes in, it's more like... I spent so much of Mass Effect 3 trying to do things for the better of the people. Mm. More, more so than just the mission. So when you've got this person that can be the voice to that, I think, which... I think she's a very effective foil to Arya. And... Mm-hmm. Well, I thought for the longest time this DLC was leading to a certain choice that doesn't pan out that we can talk about when we get to the end. But I think if that if that choice had come up, I think she would have made a good case for maybe Omega needs different leadership. Ah, uh, so so like it would have been. 
a, like a choice between Nyrene or Arya then. Yeah, I mean, like that's, that's what most of this DLC is, though, is you're basically, like, playing, you know, they're basically having an ex-lover's quarrel, yeah. and you're the one just caught up in the middle. And for all the fun that is, that's also, like, it's playing out in the scale of what does this ultimately mean for Omega as well. Right. And, and we, we will, we'll get to the end, the end result of all of that later, but I feel like it... I feel like there's a bolder ending to this DLC that I don't think they go for. Hmm. I can see that. Well, now that we've kind of set up, like, that is the pillars of what's going on, but really Omega as a whole is kind of like, I it felt like Die Hard. It, it feels <laughs> like, and I'm not just saying that because I'm a white dude and that's the only movie I watch around Christmas time. No, it's, um, um, it's this whole thing of, you know, we're going to crash into the side of Omega yeah. and we're going to fight our way to the top floor, mm-hmm. essentially. And so with all these different places that you're fighting through early on, you know, it's very much like you and Arya are blasting through all these Cerberus and, you know, reinforced bunkers and things like that. And you're helping Nyrene and, and Arya like get through all these areas. But, uh, once, you know, we have Nyrene on the team and we're kind of reluctantly working together all as one kind of not happy family (laughs) we um we start to get into like omega itself and this was the other aspect of it that i thought was really interesting was you kind of saw all these like lived in spaces that were being turned into war zones Mm. and i I think this is what very early on like can you have your notes here that aria is gradually getting more unhinged as the dlc goes on and I think that's where you begin to see it is the way she doesn't really seem to care for how this is affecting the people of Omega. Like she's mm-hmm. so dead set on getting Omega back and taking control of it. And you know that that's the right thing to happen. If for no other reason, then that means Cerberus isn't in control. Mm-hmm. But the way she's kind of blasting through all these areas doesn't really seem to have a lot of care. And obviously there's some choices that happen later on in this or some beats that happen later on in this dlc that larger like point a larger finger at this but it seems like she doesn't care as much and this dlc suddenly also quietly becomes about like the ethics of warfare in a civilized area and stuff like that which is very surprising given (laughs) this is mass effect (laughs) like for all the the battles that we've had so far very few of them in this game have been in areas that were once inhabited like the one exception we have that really sticks out is the citadel when the citadel gets invaded and this has almost the same kind of tenor to it and so like how did y'all feel about like the tone of all the combat that was going on here obviously it gets like way creepier and more horrifying later but uh just like the initial stuff of like all this war that's happening on streets of markets and stuff like places that were in mass effect 2 um, well, obviously, <laughs> I played that after. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, but, um, I mean, just for me, just from, like, a framing perspective, just to kind of really quickly bring it back to what you said about the Citadel, I really didn't kind of get that emotional gut punch from the Citadel being invaded that a lot of people had talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, that feeling, I think, the closest I came to it was when I saw the fighting here because to me i mean maybe because it hung out so much with james and kaiden and they were like oh the citadel just fucking rich people fucking suck 
you know, di- <laughs> diplomacy fucking sucks. And I was like, yeah, this is just like a symbol of oppression. Fuck the Citadel. Like, and I could tell Odina was up to no good. Like, I knew in my bones before that shit happened. I was like, this guy, he is sus. So when the Citadel <laughs> was invaded, and obviously awful amount of casualties, awful loss of life, that I felt bad about. But the Citadel never really, really felt like someone's home. You know, it's felt like this mm-hmm. diplomatic outpost that you visit that where you feel mm-hmm. like getting a sexy email from Miranda Lawson or something. Like, you know what I mean? It was never this it was never like a real a real lived in space for me. It felt so clinical, maybe just the design or something, but it just didn't feel organic and it didn't feel real. But then I think what they do really well here in Omega is they put you in these completely different visual situations that that kind of forced you to go actually you know people live here like these are lived in buildings like people will be at the marks people are walking around you see the corpses strewn everywhere you see as well how the people react to being oppressed by Cerberus forces you get like a much kind of like closer view of that very particular warfare and very particular oppression in wartime of civilians than you do when you're just dealing with the aftermath of the Citadel actually being already invaded you're kind of dealing with the mm-hmm. invasion now as it happens on the ground with Omega, and that is a lot more harrowing to look at, I think. And and you're the one doing the invading, exactly. arguably. You know, yeah. it's it's been invaded by the service already. Yeah, but you're it's going been back in and bashing and then... shit up. And I just like, right. as cool as Arya looks, I love the way that she plays. And at first I was like, yeah, like this is so dope. Like, why don't I have Arya normally? Like, James, you suck. And then, <laughs> but after a while, it's like, I am probably upturning, like, 20 people's livelihoods and destroying irreparable, ir- making, you know, causing irreparable damage to uninsured goods. Like, this is terrible. I'm an awful person. And later on, like you mentioned, there are these beats in the story where Arya says things to you and, you know, to about Nyrene and about how to get Nyrene to work with her that really solidify that complete lack of care and that kind of puts my shepherd or what I was playing as shepherd at the time in a very kind of uncomfortable position because I was like I believed in like Arya is your mainline connection into Omega but I think you don't really realize how bad Arya is for Omega until she's got your boots on the ground and you're doing what she would do I think the game is good at like drip feeding you that like slow realization that this, you know, this hot Asari chick is not everything that you've ever dreamed, right? Like, that's how it felt for me, anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, like, it, it probably is best encapsulated by that scene, uh, kind of, like, kind of near-ish of the end of the DLC, where you have that choice whether to shut down the reactor that has uh, got Arya and Nyrene trapped in these, like, barriers, mm-hmm. but shutting it down is also, like, it, the power links to, like, people's uh, homes up, like, on the actual, like, top side of Omega. Mm. And so you got both of them in your ears, like, and everyone's like, it'll take longer for us to, like, there'll be more fighting for us to do, but you can save more people if you don't uh, just shut that that reactor off like Arya's telling you to do, because Arya's like, I don't care. I want out of here. I want out of this uh, this fire zone. And then if you do choose to uh, not shut it down, um, like, I, like by, by this point, I was, like, back to my... Like, I had been away from Arya's influence, soul influence long enough that I was kind of back to my normal self. So I was like, mm-hmm. alright, I'm not going to shut this down. I'm going to redirect everything so it does not... So nobody's harmed the process. Yeah. And I think Nyrene actually gets shot if you end up doing that. Um, so yeah, like, it, like it, again, it just kind of goes back to that angel-devil-on-your-shoulder thing they've got going on. Because one person absolutely doesn't care about casualties. She doesn't care about anything that gets in her way of her throne, more or less. 
it's it's really interesting and so like we get through this whole section where you were trying to recruit the talons and find out that nirene is not just this lover of aria former lover of aria's but also the leader of the talons and has really become she's garris she became garris she became a batman (laughs) that woman over here yeah um and you you get to this point where you're teaming up and you're gonna go after the the first of all you can get the coordinates for Arya's couch which is very important you gotta (laughs) get that couch back i I can't stress that enough that couch is a good couch but um we we start to gradually see this tear apart ken i I love your your note here that omega is basically an elaborate divorce court for lesbians and my shepherd is a messy gay (laughs) who lives for the drama yes (laughs) i agree Um, so much but you're starting to see it kind of play out. And then, so you have to split off and you go into the mines. You, you've heard kind of whispers up to this point of all this uh, stuff going on where there are adjutants uh, around. <clears throat> There's bad, bad creatures. And uh, we get to discover these things who are kind of horrifying. <laughs> and the only like real Reaper tie in we have for this, which is they're just they're kind of like made for it's one of those things where they're just like yeah it's reaper tech and they're like yeah like what does that mean they're like, I don't know, it's reaper tech <laughs> yeah it's <laughs> real fucked up that's some, reaper tech there's yeah. some reaper shit over there and then somebody <laughs> touched it and turned into one of those and we were like huh we could use that but also we shouldn't touch that ourselves yeah. <laughs> and uh it's they were at that point as as i understand as i'm reading on the trivia section of the mass effect fandom wiki uh <laughs> they were originally designed as an enemy unit for mass effect 3 but they got added in uh later on because apparently they just they're supposed to teleport around and that did not work so then they got added in as a different uh unit for this dlc to just have something else in mm-hmm. but uh mm-hmm. we kind of get into like some more horror stuff which is weird because that's like you know, Mass Effect 3, I feel, has especially leaned more into the space horror than the other two ever did. And we talked a lot already about how this game does that very, very well uh, compared to the other two. But um, it, it also kind of just felt like this weird way of them just kind of being like, hey, remember the Reapers? Yeah, they're still out there. Don't worry. Like, I... I mentioned earlier that I really enjoyed that this DLC feels like a vacation of sorts, a vacation where you're murdering lots of people and upending an entire space station and all that, but it's, you're not having to think about the Reaper stuff. And so having that tie in felt a little weird to me because I want to just be like, Mm. I don't care about the Reapers right now. (laughs) We don't need to like tie them in. Like who cares? Well, I I think at this point, Cerberus and the Reapers are intimately intertwined. So like they have to be there in some capacity. Like, I did like that it was, like, if an adjutant was there, it was, like, a special encounter. Like, there weren't, um, they weren't, like, the constants throughout the majority of the mission because you were True. mostly fighting Cerberus. Yeah. So. It was it was a special moment when one showed up. It was not just like, oh, let's just plop it into the Cerberus troops and have it fight alongside them. Like, no, when you saw an adjutant, that was like, you were fighting an adjutant. Yeah. Um. And then we get to our, our scene with the reactor where we have our little face off and we really get to see that these two are that Nyrene and Arya are extremely at odds and you're not really a um you're 
you're gonna have to make some choices basically because these two are just they they work together but they clearly did not work together Mm -hmm. i think that's like kind of the interesting part because with mass effect 2 dlc we got lair the shadow broker which showed that like hey bioware can write like really good romance over here with liara but with mass effect 3 omega it's like we're seeing this very obvious like relationship and it's not just the you know mass effect every you know i'm seducing somebody (laughs) and we're falling in love it's like no they that happened a long time ago they've known each other forever they hate each other now and they have to work together i thought that was an interesting way of like having a relationship play out in this game that's normally so much like the early like flowery happy phase of a relationship and now we get to see like the ugly end of it (laughs) um fun fact also if you're an engineer and you uh you can reroute the power to save people in this i did not know that yeah me either only if you're an engineer damn there we go yeah fun fact you should have been an engineer you could have saved those people and <laughs> not pissed off Arya. um yeah, so i wish they had more things like that just throughout the series because that's like the only time in the trilogy to my knowledge that they have like a class specific yeah. scene or perk i want to say there's another one but i can't tell you what it is off the top of my head but that was mm-hmm. much more like a dragon age thing i want to say because i think dragon age yep. did some stuff where if you were a mage mm-hmm. or a rogue or stuff like that you would have different options yeah you did. uh once again mass effect should learn from the lessons of dragon age <laughs> uh oh oh boy I'm I'm gonna end up playing Inquisition again. That's that's it. the end result of do all it. of this is do that it. I'm just gonna end up playing Inquisition for like do the third it. time. Uh, so as we continue fighting forward, like here's the other thing about this DLC is that it is very much diehard in that the story itself is just you are fighting your way to the top of Omega, and the the way it plays out is you're basically just seeing all the ramifications of that in real time, but there's not really any major twists and turns except for this one part here where we are getting ready to do our final charge and, uh, Nyrene makes a choice in the middle of it. And, um, this would hurt. (laughs) So, um, I guess, like, to just start talking about it. So, like, you know, there are adjutants just pouring in. Things are going super bad. And Irene basically sacrifices herself to take out a a large group of them. And I think one of the things that stuck out the most to me about this, because I went to look it up after I played it. I I was very adamant about not spoiling myself on this DLC. Mm. And then uh, I looked up afterwards and I was really surprised that there's no way to save her. <clears throat> there, yeah. There is no way to... There's no, like, magical outcome that will save Nyrene in this. She is dead set, and there's nothing you're going to be able to do to change that. And I thought that was, like, a really interesting choice, that you build up this whole DLC around this character and their relationship to Arya... And then, no matter what, like, Mass Effect, the game of choices, there is no choice to save her. But I actually, I don't want that to sound like a negative. I like that a lot. I thought that was an interesting way to take the character. But um, I, wa- I wanted to, to hear a little bit more about y'all's thoughts on this specific beat. And also, like, the way that Nyrene's character arc ultimately plays out. As well as, like, how it affects Arya in the end. Yeah, I think, for me personally... 
Um, not that I saw it coming, because I'm like the most obtuse person ever. Like, if someone's <laughs> like, here's a really obvious lead into a story beat, I'm like, oh, oh what? For real? Um, but uh, the minute I think you kind of have that... <clears throat> <clears throat> Sorry. The minute you... <clears throat> You have Arya sort of encouraging the people of Omega to be her elaborate distraction for Cerberus. Um, and I think the way that she kind of, I don't want to say coerce, I guess almost in a way through her indirect actions, coerces Nyreen into helping her. That was mm-hmm. kind of when their relationship felt like, to me, it was never going to end well. Like, I think that kind of betrayal like with with Arya manipulating Irene like that and essentially using the lives of a whole bunch of people to do so I I couldn't see any way for the narrative to be like you know for them to tell Irene later that that happened or for for that to end in any way that was positive so that kind of started sort of started me down this like sliding sort of like slope of like oh this is gonna get bad it's gonna get really really (laughs) bad and um, I think when that moment you're talking about happened, I was shocked too, because I too was expecting, as someone that came from Dragon Age, like, could I have done like a dialogue choice 10 screens ago that would have maybe stopped this? Um, and when I learned that it couldn't, it it was poignant at the time, but it felt even more poignant after. I think for me, it's just, it felt really, really sad that, that Nyrene had essentially been manipulated by Arya that way and essentially to me maybe because my shepherd had gone along with Arya a lot the whole time I felt really responsible for the outcome that mm-hmm. was that we kind of came to here I felt a lot of guilt about it um even though obviously it was Nairene's choice to, to do that you know for me I kept walking everything back in my head going well you know all these things that I let Arya do all the ways I enabled Arya and enabled this clearly awful relationship between the two of them. Um, I felt a lot of guilt when she had to sacrifice herself like that. Um, and I think mm-hmm. that Arya doesn't really realize the emotional ramifications or just exactly how deep that toxicity runs with their relationship until Nairene dies. Because the, mm-hmm. the whole time, Arya's about herself. Like, we talked about this already briefly, but literally the whole DLC is about Arya taking control back of Omega because she wants to be in control. You know, even at the end, she's all like, yeah, like, I'm in control now, it's me, I'm the top dog. Like, you know, and, and to me, I think Arya's laser focus on that um, and just, I, I think, I don't know, for me, it kind of felt like she kind of maybe just assumed Nairene would be okay. Maybe that spoke to some... Unwritten dynamic, in their, unwritten dynamic in their previous relationship that we don't get to hear about whereby you know they were always bouncing off each other and Nairi would always bounce back and it would be fine I think Arya didn't I think Arya just expected Nairine to bounce back from all the manipulation and the betrayal and just be fine and mm. when that choice gets taken away from Nairine by Nairine that closure and that comfort is taken away from Arya as well I think you really, really, really see it because it leads right from Nairene's death into Arya getting basically set up, well, trapped by Petrovsky, right? Like, mm-hmm. you see mm-hmm. that there's a moment there whereby she's not just physically trapped, but it kind of feels like she's railing both emotionally and physically against the outcome. And I feel like having her trapped by Petrovsky at that time kind of like frames that really nicely for you in a super obvious way like that is like Arya's like lowest moment in the whole DLC and like that was Mm. also my shepherd's lowest moment experiencing that as well 
It's funny. We yeah. haven't talked much about Petrovsky. I'll, I'll let you go in a second, Ken, but I, I just think it's funny that we haven't talked much about yeah. Petrovsky because he is like this total cardboard cutout of a villain who's yep. like, oh, I saw your move coming and I planned ahead three moves and I move pieces <laughs> on a chessboard while I look at my screens. And um, But yeah, in the end, like the, the main conflict of this is not even necessarily Arya against Petrovsky. It's almost Arya against herself and, and trying to mm-hmm. deal with whether she you know what that means and how far she's willing to go to remain queen of omega versus you know there is part of me wondered throughout this dlc whether that's like there's this thought in the back of her mind like i could just rule alongside nirene or i could just not rule omega like there's almost this seed that's being planted there by seeing nirene again and then nirene dies and it's it's like it's it's not even like that makes up her mind. It, it makes up her mind for her. Yeah. You know, she's like, there's mm-hmm. there's only one path left now, and mm-hmm. that's what I have to walk, and I have to walk it. So, mm-hmm. uh, Kim, what were you going to say? Well, for me, so my initial feeling, like, seven years ago when DLC came out and I first played it, um, I thought this was leading up to a choice that you are going to have to make that was going to result in either Nirene or Arya being the person that was in charge of Omega because a lot of Mass Effect 3 is about making these huge decisions that are going to basically change the the way the galaxy operates. Mm-hmm. I didn't expect Omega to kind of be any different, I guess. Um, so I was... That was my... The main reason I was so surprised when I ended up dying because like I was like, oh, that choice that I thought this entire thing was leading towards isn't happening. Um... And then, you know, I, I went and looked and there was no option for... There was no way to save Nirene. So, ultimately, what it ends up being is about Nirene and her sort of belief system and Shepard's kind of, like, nudging it along to ultimately change Arya. Which huh. is, is... I mean, it's the ending we got and, like, I am kind of okay with some of the parts of it that, uh, like, how it pans out and, like, you get like, the conversation later if you have been kind of going against Arya's wishes through a substantial part of the DLC where she's like, you've been pushing against me this entire time. Like, do you not think that I should be the one that's sitting on, like, sitting on the throne or whatever? Um, so in a way, it kind of feels like Nirene was a little bit fridged, but also like the very notion of that means that the character dies of something that is not necessarily of their own volition, which I mean, Nirene sacrifices herself because of what she believes in. So like that doesn't entirely add up, but it feels like, like I said, it's a very... Or like earlier in this podcast, I feel like there's a braver version of the finale of this DLC that I, maybe Bioware didn't want Shepard to be in, end up killing Arya or something like that. Mm. I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't want to have had to kill Arya. So, well, maybe that's a blessing in disguise. Part of me wonders whether that was like a very intentional thing for them to do was in a game where you were traditionally presented like, hey, here's option A and option B, and we're going to tell you why each one is good and bad. And then you're going to have to pick. We saw it on Tachanka. We saw it on mm-hmm. Ranok. So, and we've seen it in all the other games, too. Like, for better or worse, most of Mass Effect is a game of option A or option B. It is very binary along those Paragon Renegade lines, for the most part. And so to suddenly yank away what seemed like a rising Paragon option that would eventually end in... You know, whether it ended in Arya dying or not could be seen as like a subvert now do i necessarily think that that was like an intentional subversion of their own writing tropes and stuff i don't know that i 
believe that much in the Bioware writers for this, <laughs> just because of like the way that you point out that it ended, um, that it does end kind of strange if you have been taking Nyrene's side. Um, that yeah, it's it maybe they just decided that it was better to keep this DLC as where it started out, which is Arya, com- like focus completely on Arya, but. I think with Nyrene dead, no matter which option you choose, but especially if you've been going that Paragon route, it ends up making the end of Omega, where, you know, now Arya is finally queen again. Mm. It's it's kind of sad. Like, because, yeah. you know, she's back where she started. She's standing over a broken kingdom that she has to rebuild. And she knows, like, what it costs to get there. And it's, you know... It, that's why I came out of it kind of feeling like I, I wonder what Arya's character feels like on the inside that's not being said here where it's like is this when she finally gets there she's like is it worth getting mm. back here for this you know yeah. at the end of the day she's right back where she was before and all it cost her was a lot of pain on the side and was there another option for her or is this just the only life that she can ever know and that's that's maybe something I would have liked to seen explored a little more you know for all the for all the like messy relationship fun that this DLC was up to this point, the ending just ends up feeling a little anticlimactic. Besides the fact that you can let Arya kill Petrovsky, and that's yeah, pretty fuck great. That guy. I mean, Jesus. Yeah, come on. Like, <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> um, but everything else ends up feeling a little anticlimactic, and I, I'm still like, you know, what has it been like weeks, months after I've played it? Um, feeling like I don't know whether that was intentional or not, or if mm-hmm. they just had to kind of leave it open-ended. Because compared to the other two DLC we have here, Leviathan and Citadel, uh, those had much more concrete, firm endings. I mean, Citadel was basically almost an ending in and of itself. Yeah. So it it was a little strange. I, I don't I know. Kind of, like, I think it kind of speaks to the way that Mass Effect 3 originally ended in that it was never about showing you the outcomes of what you've done is more about, like, letting you live with whatever it is that you do mm-hmm. rather than kind of giving you, like, okay. the justification for it after the fact. Mm. Because that is, like, ultimately where it ends. Like, you you can, like, if you do side with Nyrene for the majority of the DLC, you kind of, you, like, you can tell already, like, you need to reform because what you're doing is dangerous to yourself, dangerous right. to people around you. And you just kind of have to trust in Arya that that is where she's going to, like, that she's going to take that to heart. Yeah. Um, like whether you know <laughs> whether you should or not. She's like I'm not listening to any of that shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I mean, it, it's one of the things. Like, it's one of the, my favorite things about Mass Effect Three pre-extended cut. It was like that it left you kind of wondering if you made the right decisions. It, ne- it never gives you like the concrete sort of you know the outcome that you can look on YouTube for and yeah. see what decisions you need to make to get to that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's right. I think for me as well, just the way that instead of, I guess, I know that it would have been stupid for, like, they couldn't keep Arya on Omega. Like, that wouldn't make any sense. But I, for me, like, I just, like you like you said as well, is trying to find, I guess, that, that hidden meaning for Arya in the way mm-hmm. that it ends. Like, how she thinks it's easier to rebuild Omega from the Citadel, which seems like complete bullshit. Like, there's just, this, this like, the stupidest reason. <laughs> there's, like, the dumbest reason. I know that it's just the reason they give to put her back there because it's about as smart as a reason, like, why we're going with her alone to this whole thing in the first place. I know it's just the writing. I know it's not, like, 
meant to really be like I guess dissected but for me that you know that kind of felt like a thing that that Arya would canonically say because she just couldn't deal with how painful it would be to to be on Omega and to I guess see the consequences firsthand of what she had done and I like to think that because my shepherd had miraculously somehow uh, made a lot of paragon choices despite following um, Arya there out of pure thirst I like to think that just kind of the warning that you managed to give her kind of hits home a little bit like it kind of makes her re-examine the the way that she's behaved even if it doesn't change how she might behave in the future I like to hope that what she had done stuck with her because of the decisions that my shepherd made and because of Nairene's sacrifice so Mm. I mean for me I think it obviously ended that the only way that it felt like it would end like I said before it felt like a slow sliding slope into quicksand and death like the minute that Arya goes you know what fuck all these people they're just people they're just going to be meat shields for me I I could not see it ending well at all for, for either of them so it was like a bittersweet ending um you know the whole the whole thing with Arya's mental state essentially escalating into complete and utter just vengeful insanity from the minute Nairene dies until basically the end. Um, that felt really real and really painful. So I think it ended the way that it should have ended, could have ended. Um, I didn't think at the time about any other alternatives, but it was effectively painful, I think, even if she mm. ends up back on the Citadel five minutes right. later. The way that the DLC <laughs> closes otherwise was was essentially painful and I thought that was painful in a good way. Yeah. Mm. Omega. Painful in a good way. <laughs> <laughs> so that does it for our recap portion of the episode. Uh if you've been tuning in, if you've been listening, thank you so much. Again, we are Normandy FM. Uh you can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash normdfm or follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash normandy fm show if you want to donate if you want to ask us questions you can ask us questions we've got somebody out there right now ken who could be asking us questions and they're not i don't know why ruben you can send us questions it's okay we want to answer them we've you could have sent a question that jenny here would be forced to answer by law legally she would have to answer this uh and sadly you missed your shot that Mm, you gotta take those shots so in the meantime i want to pose one question to y'all that i was thinking of throughout this entire podcast Mm -hmm. because my mind thinks about 15 things at one time at any given point Mm -hmm. so uh we talked a lot about dragon age in Mm -hmm. this podcast in this (laughs) retrospective and and here because jenny obviously fan of dragon age on the show so i wanted to take advantage of that because we've talked in the past about what we would want to see if mass effect ever came back but in the nearer future, oh, hopefully, no. presumably, knock on wood, there is a Dragon Age 4 <laughs> coming. So I want to hear from y'all, what do you want from a Dragon Age 4? And let's let's do it this way. One thing that you want them to, to put in this game, and to have in this game, and then maybe one thing that you want them to fix or possibly Ooh. even remove. Hmm. And I'll go first, because the person who asks the question should go first, because mm-hmm. they've had time to think about it. Mm-hmm. So, um, the thing, the things I love about Dragon Age are always just uh, the character interactions, as we've talked about, like, leading up to uh, us eventually doing Citadel DLC on here. Uh, I was mentioning in our last episode that 
you can see in this game Bioware took a lot more time to actually do interactions between the crewmates that did not happen in Mass Effect 1 and 2 uh, where they felt much more separate whereas in games like Dragon Age 2 and Dragon Age Inquisition it feels like a much more cohesive unit that you're in they interact with each other there's like cool scenes with each other and stuff like that so with Dragon Age 4 I want them to keep doing more of that and I want them to continue finding ways to make your to make your crew ultimately feel like it's part of a larger team that actually like interacts and hangs out with each other and even does things while you're not there. I think that's one of like the biggest things in Mass Effect 3 when you walk in and Garrus and Tally are hanging out and mm. you're like, "Oh, hey, what's going on here?" That was a huge deal for Mass Effect players at the time because it was like, oh my god, what? And you know, where did this come from and stuff like that? But I like that because it impl- implied that people in my crew did stuff when Shepard was not in the room because otherwise your crew was just kind of like they're basically fixtures on the wall that only turn on when Shepard walks in the room and you're like, okay, bye. And then they just <laughs> go back to just standing there and doing whatever canned animation they have. So yeah. the idea that these people do things when you're not there is cool. And I, I want to see more of that. You know, like I, I don't mind hearing about a story secondhand if it's a good story and it means that my general group feels more like a unit and less like outlets for my main character's rampant thirst so uh, (laughs) which is what bioware is but hey Uh, so uh one thing i'd like to see them change though and i was thinking about this um again like dragon age inquisition i've been saying this whole podcast like every single episode almost that i really should go back and play that again and the thing that keeps me from it every time is the damn open world structure that game Uh, (laughs) and the same thing with andromeda why we're dreading it because ken and i are drawing up an outline right now for what our andromeda series is going to look like and we're just like these games are on a different scale but not necessarily because they tell a grander narrative or anything like that there's just more things to check off on the checklist with everything you're doing and one thing that i've really appreciated about going back to two and three and Uh, even one to some extent is that they feel way more focused in what you're doing and as much as I like that Inquisition had stuff that made you feel like you were affecting a grander scale and I'd like to see them still keep things like that where you're kind of oh you know you're looking at a big board and there's all these different areas and you can like send dispatches and stuff like that but when you're actually in you know the the hinterlands and you're just running around it's like okay well the Inquisitor's got to go fetch five things from this area and do this and run over here i'd like to see them like cut some of the chaff and also find ways to keep it a little bit more streamlined where it feels like you are on one greater quest and not necessarily like stumbling onto the main quest every once in a while Mm. Uh, so we can go to ken because ken is the co-host and has to answer second so (laughs) ken what do you feel um the main thing I want out of Dragon Age 4 is a sense that it is a proper sequel in the way that most Dragon Age games are not because they jump from one side of the world to the other with a different protagonist with a different squad or not squad party and like all these like so much of Origins and 2 ends up like getting swept under the rug and like a lot of that is just the matter of like coding around these games that are supposed to like have choices that carry over from one thing or another 
and making it all like trying to also have like callbacks but not necessarily do things that tie the game into one choice or the other with Dragon Age 4 I want the Inquisitor to be the protagonist again I want it to be like I mean they've kind of they've confirmed it's about Solus so like I want us to be all Interventor like actually finishing the story that Trespasser sets up instead of doing the thing where like it is like a side narrative or this sort of thing happening in the background like I want something that feels like actually continuation of what we've done so far because like if if they wrap up the story between the Inquisitor and Solus in Dragon Age 4 then fine, by all means, go to whoever else you want to talk about in the next game. But that's always been my one of my biggest issues with Dragon Age, is that it feels like, since it is obligated, or it feels obligated to go to different characters in different parts of the world, that we don't get a lot of closure on stuff. And that was like always kind of a thing with Trespasser, was like, if I was like, once I finished that, I was like, if they don't finish this story, I don't really care to keep trying to get invested in these games, because like, if I'm not going to get closure on anything that I get invested in, what's the point? Mm. Um, as for something I'd like them to fix... Anything I about Dragon Age you want them to keep doing, though? Or do better, or improve upon, maybe? It can be something that you already enjoy that you'd like them to just do more of. Um, I Honestly, like the main thing that sticks out to me is... It, it does go back to the open world stuff you're talking about, but I think if they're gonna keep, which I know they fucking will, because every game has to take up 200 hours of our lives, I want them to at least make it, like, more sensible to navigate. Mm. Because, like, people stay in the hinterlands for fucking forever. One, because they think they're supposed to, because, like, they, that's how games are structured. Like, you're supposed to stay in this one area, and then you finish everything, and then you go to the next place. But the one thing that I like about it, or one of the things I like about Andromeda's open world, is that getting around it's not a pain in the ass because you have like you have the nomad so like you can drive to places instead of walk a fucking snail's pace from one place to the other which is like what keeps me f- it, like navigating open worlds is like my biggest fucking reason I don't play a lot of them which is also why things like Infamous are you know they stand out to me compared to other things like as the thing that is tolerable to move around because you got superpowers in that game that are built around how you get around that world. Like you, like in Infamous One and Two, like you, uh, like you're an electric, you have electricity powers, so like you can grind on power lines and get from a place that on foot would take like ten minutes, but like you can get there in two that way. And Dragon Age doesn't really have, or at least Inquisition didn't have means of making getting from one place easy. Yeah. So. That is what I would mainly like out of Dragon Age Four, if because I know, like, you know, I know they're gonna fucking do open world shit. <laughs> Just make it less tedious to get through. Mm. And Ginny, what do you think? Okay, <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I'm gonna not go with the predictable answer, which is like more ass. Um, but I, <laughs> I am gonna go with an answer that I guess is very similar to Ken's because I did the dumb bitch thing and I, I, I went with not only like, uh, a romance, um, my first playthrough was a romance someone that I wanted to bone. My second playthrough was a soulless romance because of Trespasser because I wanted to see how different it would be when you mm. go through all that final stuff with him and, Jesus Christ, it was like, it was a lot. It was so much. And all I want out of Dragon Age 4 now is I just want to see that wrapped up. 
I want to see what happens mm. when like your stupid dumb elf boyfriend rips your arm off and like leaves you for dead with like a grudge and like fire in your eyes and like as he goes on to conquer the rest of the world and basically attempt to almost kill everyone in some weird magical veil countdown genocide thing like it's just you can't I can't see any way in which they sideline a story that big that affects the entire world in Dragon Age 4. And so it would make completely no sense if they were like, hey, you know what, there's this one person here that's got all this history with Solus, all this stuff with a big bad villain who knows how he works and has punched him in the face or whatever. But here's like a random, you know, handsome looking mm. Chad dude. Here, Chad, you sort this out. You know jack shit about Solus. <laughs> But you, my guy, have some kind of magic thing which we're going to use to fight Solus. And the Inquisitor, I guess, kind of comes along and might die in the future. Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. I feel like all the build-up and Trespasser, yeah. I cannot be replaced. I will not stand to be replaced by some Chad, okay, <laughs> in Dragon Age yeah, and, 4. Like, <laughs> and the thing is, I, mean, I kind of talk about it as well, but like, there are people who are dead set on the idea that there's going to be, like, a different fucking protagonist in this game and, like, a different... No, please. Like, the thema- Like, that doesn't make any fucking exactly. sense. And there are there are so many people online with their fucking keyboards <laughs> that, like, genuinely are, like, theory-crafting ways for that to not be the fucking game. I don't understand it. I don't understand where media literacy fucking died. <laughs> but it did. Ugh. Oh. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's almost the most unhinged you've become on this podcast. <laughs> he's like, he's definitely channeling those Arya Arya vibes right now. Full renegade, full yeah. renegade Ken. Seriously, but I yeah, I'm the same way. I literally cannot see any other way or any other like universe in which case in, in which the game is successful and not just Anthem or something. And you mm. know, where, whereby I am replaced by a Chad that can somehow do my character's job, that can do my Inquisition's, that can do my Inquisitor's job, that has intimate knowledge of, so, and I mean intimate, intimate knowledge of Solus <laughs> and how all that weird Elfie shit operates. Like there is no way some rando Chad is gonna do the job that my Inquisitor can. So I want that, and I also want them to make the most of Dorian as a character. Because we know it's going to go to Tevinter, yeah. right? We know we've built up, we've learned through Dorian as the vessel about everything that's happening in Tevinter. We've learned about the blood magic through DA2. We learned, we learned through Fenris as well about what shit Tevinter is like. We finally get to go to Tevinter. Because that's basically confirmed. We finally get to go to Tevinter. Mm. If we're going to be in Tevinter... Can we, McFucking, please have someone from Tevinter take the reins here? Please, Dorian. We want to hear about Dorian's reform. We want to hear about the work he did with Maveris. You know, we want to hear about all these awful, awful mage slave fucking, all those awful cults that Fenris's master was part of. Daenerys, right? Daenerys, that guy. We just mm-hmm. want to, I want to see the underbelly of of Tevinter. I, I want to see all the expectation, all the ostentatiousness. I want to see how they rival the Olesians in their you know, in their frippery and their nonsense and also how cutthroat all these politicians and all these you know, these wizards can be. Like, we've heard so much about Tevinter, we have seen none of it. And it would be a huge, huge waste to not transplant one of the most vibrant characters from Inquisition, Dorian, into his home, his home, this is his home field, his home stadium. 
right? You've written Dorian up to be this amazing, well-rounded character in Inquisition, arguably one of the most fascinating in the whole game. To not use Dorian again, to not use all the backstory you gave him with him and his wishes for mage reform, his mentor's wishes for mage reform, to completely cut that stuff out would be a huge mistake. So I want my Inquisitor back in the hot seat, and I want Dorian right there, chugging pina coladas, cheering my dumb ass on. I want that. I want the two of them, the buddy comedy right here, kicking elf butt, taking names. That's what I want in DA4. And also less open world shit. This isn't a video (laughs) podcast, but I am like, I am on my feet praising right now this is like speaking my language yeah, I was is... I was thinking I was like Ken you coach her before she came on here these lines <laughs> we, 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 we wrote a whole script yeah. oh. it's oh. it's true and y'all point out like Mass Effect has not had this large through line you know we've had Hawk pops up later the Grey Warden gets mentioned characters transfer forward but we don't have a shepherd that like goes through the games mm-hmm. and the idea that the Inquisitor could be that I mean, yes, I would love for that to happen because my Macklemore-looking Inquisitor <laughs> also wants some freaking revenge God. and a new haircut. But look, I I made it before I knew who Macklemore was. Okay, <laughs> and, and then story. someone sent me story. and this Ken knows because he was in the Slack when this happened. He was like, "You made Macklemore." <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> um. Mm-hmm. And look, I stuck with it because, hey, you know, it's, I, I got to be my Mackle mage, you know, so. But uh, it's, <laughs> I really want to see that stuff transfer forward because we haven't had that in a long time. And like having those characters have some sort of legacy in the series would mm-hmm. be really cool because I think that's the biggest difference between Mass Effect and Dragon Age is that like, while I overall think that Dragon Age does a lot of things better than Mass Effect does, uh, it's still kind of rapidly falls behind when you start talking about how memorable all the characters of Mass Effect are versus how memorable all the characters of Dragon Age are. Because you have like Garrus and Tali and Liara who have been through everything with Shepard and even Shepard as a character themselves is like very memorable but in Dragon Age you've had very few of those characters that carry through in the same way and I really want to see that. Varric would be the the only one. Varric and um... Uh, why am I suddenly blanking on her name? I guess uh, mage, evil uh, mage girl. Uh, Morgan. Morgan. Yeah. Morgan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess you could count her because she shows back up again. And <laughs> Isabel, like Isabella. Why am I? See, I need to play this game again because <laughs> I'm literally forgetting the names of characters that aren't like Cassandra and Sarah and Leliana I never knew how to pronounce her name that was always weird but um yeah it's they don't have the same like you know just star power that someone like Garrus Vicarian does like it's Garrus fucking Vicarian um so I want to see them start to build that up I think Dorian as you mentioned is also like a really good character to do that with I'm not saying that just to pander to Ken um (laughs) it's like you look at the characters of Dragon Age Inquisition, all of them were extremely memorable. All of them were, like, very interesting different aspects of uh, life in that world. And so, hopefully, that care. I want to see Iron Bull again. I want to see Sarah again. I want to see Josie and all the other characters again. And, like, 
it would really suck if they, like you said, just brought in a Chad. Yeah. Just like, hey, here's a make a character, and we're just going to, like, <laughs> imbue them with some magical power that, yeah, and they're also going to get put in charge, and also, like, we're going to do this big story about war into Venter, and then magically, like, throw Solus in at the last second, and then he'll run away again, and you'll have to fight him in Dragon Age 5. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. But it all, like, there is, like, the ghoul of Anthem hanging over this, where Bioware, like, flubbed. And, you know, Andromeda was definitely, like, I would say Andromeda was a trip. Like, you're walking down a hallway, and you kind of, like, you step a little wrong, you kind of stumble a little bit. And Anthem was if you did that, but on, like, a sheet of ice into a rake. And <laughs> Jesus Christ. They're, they're still getting up from the rake. Yeah. And when they get up from the rake, they put their foot back down, and the rake has settled, so it flings back up again and hits them in the face again. But, um, <laughs> it's part of me is like constantly wondering you know dragon age 4 should be good and it should be this thing of like bioware returning to form but it also and i think ken we've talked about this before it also kind of feels like it needs to be good yeah. like it has yeah. to be good for the future of bioware to be you know sunny skies and not dark clouds ahead <laughs> um so whatever that ends up looking like i really hope it's good but we will see and that does it for <laughs> our question but we do have one last thing we'd like to subject all our guests to before we let you go okay. so ken without further ado please take it away um so i'm gonna be, pre- <laughs> I'm gonna be pretty interested in this just because like you did play them in reverse order so i like i'm curious to see like where your decisions because like we ask people like their big like the big temple decisions Mm-hmm. Of whichever game they're the first, talking about. The first time you played this game. So, yeah. first time through Mass Effect 3. Mm-hmm. Uh, who's your romance? <laughs> okay, oh, you guys boy. are judge me so hard because I literally just called them out inside inside what I was talking about. Um, oh, no. Oh, God. I romance James. What? That's a, That's like... Okay. Look, I, I know. Look, this is so you're talking about uh-huh. like in the you're talking about like in the Citadel stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Mm. See, that's a ha, yeah. It's a Normandy that's a FM that's a first. See, <laughs> that is very yeah. That's that's a choice. It is a choice. Look, I told you. Okay, you said the first time through. All right, the first time I made a lot of mistakes. Okay. <laughs> okay. Then okay. all right. Then I, I have a question, real quick, for you before we move on to the next one. Then yeah. Because I, I literally just played Citadel DLC for the first time the other day. Mm-hmm. If you are romancing James or are somewhat, you know, like, getting to know James in that DLC, does he still hit on Ashley the entire damn time, if you are? Or I, does that not happen? I, I think he still is incredibly McFucking-flirty. Um, I, I, don't, I don't recall that being different, so I, I would say so. Um, oh, boy. It's... James, like, I, I, James is, like, one of, like, is incredibly problematic. I'm just going to say it right now. He's super problematic. He doesn't mm. know how to, like, tear you down. And, like, that is kind of partly what wore me down. I was like, yeah, you know what? This guy just keeps bothering me. I'm just going to just gonna go with it. Maybe it'll stop. Maybe it'll get better. It didn't. But I committed. Mm. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> and he, his, his whole romance is it was excruciating. For everything from, like, fake boxing to, like, giving you a fucking shitty nickname, it was excruciating. So I regret what I oh, did. God. I regret what I did. Fair. But yeah. Uh, yeah. 
Anyway, yeah. Episode mm. episode one of the season was me just because I this is also my first playthrough as Femshep, and I w- just went on this really long rant in episode one of this season against that nickname scene, and I was just like, so "Get the bad. fuck off my boat!" <laughs> like, so bad. Oh so boy, yeah. Bad. So yeah, yeah. I, I committed. It was a choice. I committed. Not proud of it. But I did. I, I respect the committal. You know, I respect that you went for it. Yeah, that's that's me. Hundred percent bad decisions <sighs> only. Ken, let's keep this disaster going. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Uh, did you did you sabotage or um, did you sabotage the, the Genophage cure? No, I didn't. God bless. Not a monster. Wait, why would I? Great. I'm not a monster. I know. I know my character probably fucked James Vega, but I'm not a monster. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> there are some limits to my bad decisions here. <laughs> oh man. Uh did you save the Geth, the Quarians, or make them love each other? Um I could oh, I got them wow. to get along as best as they could, yeah. Mm, good, good. Alright. Uh which ending did you pick? Oh. <laughs> yeah, gonna judge me for this one again. Oh, no. no, 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 no. It's not. It's not as bad as it is. But like, okay, this is like the very first time, right? Like, I'm not getting like any mm. any do overs in terms of like when I was mm. a sane person and didn't fuck mm. James that playthrough either. Um, you shot the kid. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ! No, it's just. Uh... Yeah, it was definitely it was definitely a control ending for me. Yeah. Hmm. There's a there's a worse choice there, so yeah, I will. I will. It's admittedly stranger choice, and you could have shot the kid too. So I mean, like there there are many choices in, in that ending. But mm. oh, all right, all right. Well, could have been worse. Could have been worse. That's my that's my final answer. Oh. Yeah, there there are right. honestly worse romances in this game. So <laughs> moral compass realigned. We Gucci. We good. We good. <laughs> I'm, I'm interested to know once you went back and played through the series again like who was it when you went back and, and, and romanced okay who I, when I went back and I didn't want to fuck James Vega because that was a, right. an awful yeah. fucking trip and a half um, well I've never played as male ship um, and, mm. and I feel like I kind of should have um, at some point um, but I went for Liara so mm. yeah it is Again, one of my ranting points on this podcast is that Tally is not a yeah, that Tally, Jack, and Miranda are not options for Femship. They would have that, been the not ideal a single choice. one of those three. Yeah, I think so. I yeah, think, I think I vibe with Tally the most as well. After obviously Arya, I vibe with Tally so hard, and I was quite disappointed that she wasn't available as a romance choice. Mm-hmm. So, hmm. It'd be like that. Yeah. Another thing that Dragon Age does better is acknowledges and understands the thirst of its players. One thousand percent. Ginny, where can people find you if they want to follow you? Okay, if they want to follow me, I am Ginny Woes on Twitter and basically every other social media platform. Um, so yeah, you can find me on Twitter yelling about all the unfortunate things that happened to me and um, about the games <laughs> that I'm playing. So that's where you can find me. That's a mood. Yeah. Oh, exciting. As always, you can find us at Normandy FM Show. Uh, thank you for, for joining us on the show today. It was a blast. We'll have to try and find a way if we can get you on. I don't know if you... Have you played Andromeda? Yeah, I've played Andromeda, so... Oh, maybe we should get you on for that train wreck, because Oh, that's going to be a messy a one. Time. That's going to be a messy one. I'm just going to put it I out just, there I, right now. I keep building it up, because, as I said, I got, like, 
part of the way into it and yeah. just completely bounced off it. Yeah. But we got enough support on this podcast that now <laughs> I am somehow obligated to play yes. play this. Like that's how this podcast started. Okay, was. Ken was like, hey, let's do a podcast about Mass Effect. And me, I was like, sure, how much could that take up? <laughs> and then he was like, hey, we should make it go to Andromeda too. And I was like, sure, if that ever happens. And now we're going to end up playing all of Bioware's games. And then we're going to do like a Danganronpa retrospective. Oh, yes, please. I want to be on that. Ken has led me down so many dark alleys for podcast content. But at the end it. of the day, it's what we love doing. I love it. It is. Yeah. We can't do anything else. It's the two of us. <laughs> bound together. Monokuma I'll give you that one, but I'm going to start doing... So, we good. <laughs> Monokuma does. As as do we on Norm DFM. Yeah. So, for all of us here, thank you so much for tuning in. We'll see you next week, which I believe I'm double-checking the schedule. Uh, but I think we are headed to... I'm delaying. Uh, we'll be heading to Thessia and Sanctuary, the home Ooh. of all those awesome Asari badasses, because the Reapers got there, too. That's a bad thing. So we got to go take care of that next week. We'll see you there on Normandy FM. Normandy FM. Oh, my dear,